host, Abigail Wright, and today I have the pleasure of introducing you to my dear friend, Brandon Mayberry. Brandon and I met while singing in the ensemble at the Metropolitan Opera, where he started in the full-time chorus in 2008. A native of Worcester, Ohio, Brandon studied at DePaul University and Indiana University, sang at several prestigious young artist programs and in opera houses, and made a solo debut at the Lyric Opera of Chicago. While living there, he co-founded what is now considered the city's oldest all-cupcake shop. Their company, Swirls Cupcakes, prides itself on making quality baked goods with healthier options, all while contributing to countless charities and giving back to their community as a whole. Since moving to New York City, Brandon continues to work with Swirls, and to get back to his world here as well. In 2011, he even donated his kidney to his now-husband's mother, Riki. He earned his health coaching certificate at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, played on the New York City Gay Basketball League for three years, and then traveled around the world with his now husband, Yaron, before they were married in 2014. It was a beautiful ceremony, and Yaron and Brandon are really wonderful together. Oh, and he's also made his debut at the Metropolitan Opera in several roles now, and he continues to sing in their full-time chorus as well as outside the men. Brandon, I'm always honored to spend time with Today's thank you so much for offering to, to bring us into your home today. Thank you, Abby. I, it's absolutely my pleasure, and it's nice to, to sit down and have a chat together. I, you know, I always wanted to ask you, um, what drew you to opera? Have you always wanted to sing? Actually, no. Uh, I didn't grow up in a household where there was music playing a lot, or there was this uh, tradition, uh, unlike some of my colleagues whose family had been listening to opera, going to opera at an early age. For me, I actually didn't experience my first opera uh, until I became a student uh, in DePaul University. Oh, wow. That was the first time I'd actually seen an opera, and I had made the decision, it was a total leap of faith, to, uh, to become an opera major um, without having been to an opera. So <laughs> it was a bit of a um, leap of faith, definitely, to say the least. I will say that when I was in sixth grade, my mother did um, encourage me to pick up an instrument and join the band. Nice. And there wasn't an option, it was just which instrument would you like to play? Sure. That was the option. <laughs> so I chose trumpet, uh, which to me seemed rather easy. There was just three valves as opposed to something like a saxophone with all of the different, you know, our clarinet. Uh, and that's how I got my start in music, actually. Um, and then down the road, when I was in high school, I had to sing for church, or I was asked to sing for church, not ever having sung in public, uh, but they knew that I could read music, and I was a musician as a trumpet player, and I, I sang for them, and I got all kinds of encouragement. Um, and they, they, they basically uh, gave me the confidence to join a high school choir, which then led to a number of other things, including community theater and um, and high school musicals, which I became involved in very quickly. So it became a very exponential thing where all of a sudden I was immersed in this world that really, uh, uh, you know, the singing part of it anyhow was very foreign to me and being yeah. on stage. So it, it was an interesting um, the way it all came together. Who knew? Yeah, no. <laughs> How does the life and dynamic of, a, of an opera solo singer compare to that of a, a full-time opera chorister? Has being at the Met full-time changed your life and, and your career goals? You know, it's given me a lot of stability. I've uh, I trained, like many of us, to kind of pursue the solo path. 
And uh, it was something that I, um, I'm glad I had that experience. And certainly, um, but having the opportunity to sing in a chorus and to have um, a place to call home, like New York, uh, is really wonderful. And not to have to live out of a suitcase, which was something that you know, it's very difficult. I would think as a soloist, constantly being uprooted and moving on to new places. And uh, as exciting as that might be for me, I was definitely someone that um, enjoyed the stability that a job like the chorus could provide. Has that success and stability changed your outlook on life? It has. I think it's given me a, a, certainly a sense of peace that I wouldn't have probably had as a soloist always. Uh, auditioning for that next job and under the sort of scrutiny that, that you find yourself under as a soloist. So it's given me an opportunity to be part of a, a larger group, which in turn has given me a sense of uh, peace and calm that I otherwise may not have had. Sure. You're busy rehearsing and singing 10 months out of the year for the Metropolitan Opera, and yet you still find the time to be part owner of a very successful company. Tell me about your passion for Swirls Cupcakes. Swirls uh, really d did come along as a total uh, fluke in sense because I wasn't looking for it and I had no business experience or know-how. When I was living in Chicago while an apprentice with the Lyric Opera of Chicago, two blocks from my home was the first of its kind uh, in Chicago, the first cupcake shop. And only cupcake shop, and it did quite well. Uh, and I was really very interested, not only for because I'm a sweet tooth, but mm -hmm. I was interested from a business perspective because I saw that they were getting an enormous amount of, of uh, free press, and because it was a novelty at the time in Chicago, it was I was really catching on like wildfire. Uh, so the proximity was part of it, but also the fact that that I you know. It's a very easy thing for me to love is sweets. And so uh, I became enamored with this idea that you can walk into this tiny little cupcake shop that was whimsical and had clouds painted on the ceiling and this sense of community um, attached to it that, that brought back this nostalgia and sense of, uh, again, calm and peace. When I was in the shop, I always felt like I could talk to anybody and make you know, small talk and, and sort of connect with people in a way that if you don't always feel you can do in an urban environment. Yeah, and you know, you've given me so many opportunities to try some of, of Sproul's products, and you guys have these allergy-free lemon bars, and oat apple bars, and brownies, and cookies, and you're making these cupcakes with veggies baked in. I, I love that you're trying to contribute to a, a greater sense of overall health in your community. I'd love to hear about your company's journey from making temptations to making something that's a little bit healthier for the, the community at large. Yeah, it actually started when we first opened, we had the idea of offering a line of gluten-free cupcakes, uh, which we quickly realized uh, the market for that was much larger than we originally thought. So. That really took off, and then from there we decided to do a vegan gluten-free option, um, which we still have today, both options. And we, uh, for both the gluten-free and vegan gluten-free cupcakes, we uh, distribute them through the Whole Foods network. So Whole Foods stores all throughout the Midwest region carry our vegan, gluten-free, and gluten-free cupcakes. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah, it's really been great uh, to 
to realize that the need is there and to be able to offer it and make people happy who are, uh, you know, usually uh, limited to subpar products uh, that maybe don't put as much love into making it taste as good as what uh, our regular ones do. Speaking of love, I remember hearing that squirrels raised over $20,000 for the National Kidney Foundation and that they support um, one of their local charities, the Ronald McDonald House, just to name a couple of their causes. How did charitable giving start out as a model for your company? Well, this was uh, born out of um, our uh, feeling of community within Chicago. Chicago is, a, is known as a city of neighborhoods, and we very much uh, were aligned with uh, our neighbor at the time when we first started our shop was Children's Memorial Hospital. So it was a very easy fit for us, and we found that mothers and children alike would come into the store um, and feel as though um, they had an escape from what was, in most cases, a pretty dreary uh, time at the hospital. They could get away, and, and it brought them some happiness. And so we realized, wow, our reach within the community, even just a block away, is, is much larger than we initially realized. And so it became involved in, yeah, in, in much more, uh, in different ways with, with other charities, and, uh, and realized that we really had a, a community backing us that sees our presence within the, uh, the, the non-for-profit world as something that they value, as well as in Cupcakes. How has that model of charity impacted your business and your life? Well, it's certainly impacted uh, the business um, by giving our customers a sense that we're not just out for making the most money, but, but also uh, feeling like we're part of the community, which we all live in and they live in. And so uh, feeling that connection with our customers in a way that goes beyond just cupcakes, I think has always been important for us and part of our mission. Nice. As far as personally, um, I, I feel that, uh, you know, it's been part of my and Pam's personal mission to be as involved as we can with charities and to support those charities that we can. And everybody loves cupcakes, so we, there's never a lack of charities looking for us to sponsor them in different ways, providing product, providing cupcakes for uh, galas and whatnot where there's uh, money to be raised. So it's, it's a small way that we can help out and, and also uh, get word out on, on our product as well. It's a nice win-win. Yeah, exactly. Tell me about the serendipity that led you to donate your kidney to your husband's mother, Reiki. What are the odds? <laughs> Probably about a million to one. Wow. <laughs> or maybe a little more if you ask Yaron, who's uh, done all the statistics to determine exactly what the chances are that we would be a match and that, that you know, and that I'm not related. And so anyhow, yeah, it, it was a big decision for me. I bet. I initially wasn't um, going to put my, uh, throw my hat in the ring, so to speak. I was very much on the, on the out, kind of on the sidelines, waiting to see if someone within the family was going to be an eligible uh, donor. Um, however, over time, uh, it fleshed certain things out, which then uh, eliminated some of the family members as possible donors. So when that came to, to light, and then also there were other uh, 
potential friends that, that may have been interested, but then for different reasons uh, decided it wasn't for them. Uh, I then, you know, I had enough time to think about it, and uh, over that process of watching how this all matriculated, and then eventually I, I decided, you know, this just feels right. Um, I, you know, I was, you know, I am still uh, going through this kind of renaissance of compassion where I'm learning about, um, I became a vegan right before, maybe a year or two before, uh, donating the kidney. Wow. There are all these elements that seem to be coming into play where I was learning to kind of awaken um, my compassion for not just other people, but maybe the world and some of the things that I can do on a small scale level to, to help um, uh, you know, make, make the planet a healthier and better place. And also from a health perspective, I realized that uh, after doing a lot of research that uh, being vegan or vegetarian is one of the better diets to follow. Did it affect you at all when you were getting ready to donate your kidney? Actually, no, it didn't affect me at all. Um, I, all of the testing that was done ahead of time to determine whether or not I was eligible uh, came back perfect, and so there were, there were no issues as far as being a donor. Um, and it was just a matter of me making the decision at that point, and I had psychologists asking me questions, making sure that I was doing it, one, for altruistic reasons, because obviously there is a lot of... Um, talk now about people who are uh, selling their kidney oh yeah in other countries and, uh, and that's become very popular in certain countries right now so that's obviously something that the psychologists wanted to make sure that I was doing for altruistic reasons as well as the panel in Israel because I did donate the kidney in, in Tel Aviv where uh, Ricky my uh, husband's mother lives so it, it, it was a uh, it was an interesting journey to be sort of asked questions and being vetted, so to speak, <laughs> on whether or not this was the right decision and what were the uh, reasons behind it, you know, uh, for me to, to make that decision. Were you nervous at all? I was nervous. Um, I, I certainly uh, had enough time to think about it and feel that I was doing it for the, the right reasons. and. That I was comfortable with that decision because not all of the um, surgeries that take place where someone's receiving a kidney go well and I had to be prepared for the fact that maybe the, her surgery wouldn't go well or my surgery wouldn't go well and so there was certainly um, there were risk factors um, but fortunately um, it all went well and um, we're both very healthy to this day and she's uh, excited by having her four grandchildren to spend time with in Israel and, and to have the foreseeable future ahead of her rather than being on dialysis and, and uh, limping along. That's wonderful. And the motto at Swirls is happy, right? Cupcakes make people happy. And I've never known you to be pessimistic. Is optimism something that you've always had in your life? Yeah, I think I have. I've tried to remain positive, you know. I certainly had, uh, like anyone, has ha have had my ups and downs. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, I'm very grateful. There's a sense of gratitude for all the things that I've been blessed with in this life. And so I try to keep a positive uh, approach to life because it's much easier than, than being down and, and you know, and you know, sort of being in the position where 
uh, we're not able to make an impact on people's lives in a positive way. What strategies do you use to turn around negativity when it does reach you? I try to back up and, and it, when that happens it's usually because I'm getting a little too much tunnel vision with life and I need to sort of gain perspective so I try to remind myself how fortunate I am and, and how much I do have to be thankful for and it usually uh, it, that usually does the trick you know and sometimes it takes my partner or uh, a friend close friend to say hey look it's not that bad <laughs> sort of provide a reality check for me. And I bet you were really thankful for that sabbatical year off when you and your husband, Yaron, traveled around the world together. Absolutely. I was so thankful. Uh, a little guilt-ridden <laughs> because many of my colleagues at the Met were, uh, you know, certainly jealous. Uh, and I was posting lots of pictures throughout the year on Facebook. I actually had to stop posting pictures about three months before I went back to work, just so that I could build up a little, a little bit of uh, lenience from my colleagues, because oh, no. I was afraid that if I kept it up right until the day I came back, they, they wouldn't be uh, as happy to see me. <laughs> but it worked out. And uh, no, it was a great opportunity uh, to see all kinds of amazing, um, unique destinations in the world. Uh, we, went, we did a safari in South Africa, which was, for me, life-changing. I mean, it was just amazing to be part of, of this primitive, um, unstaged uh, circle of life and, and to be to witness what was happening out there uh, on the savannah was just amazing to me. And there, there's just nothing, nothing beats reality, right, in its most pure form, and that was all real. I mean, this, were just, this was just a daily thing, you know, to... To, for the animals, but for us to be witness to it was really uh, just phenomenal. I remember seeing something on your Facebook page about um, some Pakistani students that you saved. Right, it was uh, <laughs> pretty phenomenal, and I guess I can thank my my ears for that because I we were on um, a sailboat and we were headed into port for the evening in Turkey, and um, I heard a yell. Uh, off to the side of our boat. Uh, immediately our captain looked over and was able to identify someone floating by. Fortunately, they had a life jacket um, around their neck, but they, um, yeah, they were Pakistani students from what we understood. Uh, the Coast Guard came in once we uh, announced that there was a rescue mission underway and we helped, we were helped along with the Coast Guard to, to bring them to safety. Apparently their boat had capsized off the coast of uh, Marmaris, Turkey, and, uh, and it was headed towards the end of the day. Evening was fast approaching, so it's very possible that had we not heard them and been able to see them and rescue them, that they may not have made it because they had already been in the water for about three hours and were starting to show signs of hypothermia. So it was a very dire situation for them. And so there was one that we found, one that I heard, but then when we brought him into, onto our boat, he immediately told us there, there were two more. And so we were fortunately, fortunately we were able to uh, spot the other two and also uh, get them aboard. Amazing. But yeah, their boat had capsized and it, it uh, scary, but, but it really made for memorable trip that we'll never forget. Uh, the trip to Turkey was just uh, really phenomenal.
And were you in Libya for the protests? No, I wasn't in Libya, but I was in Turkey during the protests that were happening in Taksim Square. Um, we were there for the very beginning because we started our trip in Istanbul and then went to the south of Turkey to start our sail trip. But then on the way back from our sail trip, we came back to Istanbul and by that point, the riots had really reached a whole new level um, that involved you know, rubber bullets and tear gas and, and reporters from CNN all over. It was, very, it was very much a standoff between the government and the police forces and the people that were inhabiting Taksim Square. It was really amazing to be in that space, a little scary, <laughs> thrilling. Um, and our hotel was right around the corner from Taksim Square. So we were back in our hotel and turned on the television. CNN was actually broadcasting live from Taksim Square all over the world. And we were just there maybe an hour before things really ramped up. Wow. It was very surreal <laughs> to have just been there and experienced the sort of electricity in the air um, and then to go back to our hotel and know that what was happening was literally, we could hear it from our hotel room, we could hear um, quite a bit and, and to know that that was just happening around the corner was really something I'll never forget. What a year. Definitely um, made me realize that you know the world uh, is certainly Full of all kinds of forces, uh, and we live in a country, fortunately, that where you know we don't have to worry about a lot of basic things like going to an Afri in, in Africa and Zambia. I went to a village and to see people living in huts, mainly without shoes, um, and to be making these most amazing carved wooden creations, figurines of animals, which were just beyond incredible. They were just so well done. They were willing to practically give them to you for like, you know, a pair of socks or the shirt off your back, something that took them hours to create. They were just that desperate and it was, it was really humbling. Has it changed the way you live your life at all? It does, you know, it's something sort of circulating that I'm thinking about and, and would love to be involved in some active way to help with um, less fortunate. And it, whether it be in Africa or other ones, I'd love to. To, um, to find something that would uh, fill that void. So if anyone's looking for a partner in charity... There we go, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know that you're incredibly busy as a Met Chorister. Do you have any habits or traits that help you to stay happy and successful in such a busy life? It's important that I uh, get to the gym at least four or five days a week. That is helps me stay sane when we're under a lot of stress. And then of course, living in New York uh, is also stressful. So I need to have something to help neutralize all of that that stress and working out for me is great. And also too, with the Met, we end up wearing very heavy costumes and standing in, spot, standing in one spot for a very long time. And that actually is more tiring than if I had the opportunity to be a little bit more active uh, on stage, yeah. So it's good for me to be able to get that extra energy out, but also to help manage the stress by working out. That's, for me, it's been, it's been great. It's, uh, you know, kind of helps with not having to see a therapist as often. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, physical therapy, there you go. If you could pinpoint just a couple of reasons for your success in life, what would they be? For me, you know, like with opera, for instance, um, 
it wasn't something that I was sure about, but once I was sure, it was full steam ahead. And you know, for that, for me, that moment came when I saw an opera at Northwestern School, in you know, right outside of Chicago. They did a production of La Boheme, and it wasn't until I saw La Boheme that I was, I really still wasn't convinced. But after seeing that opera, I was like, wow, this this is totally a magical art form, and that. Everything about that opera spoke to me in a way that I really hadn't had that experience, that aha experience until that point. And from that point on, it was really, I, I really channeled so much of my energies into um, to trying to be the best singer I could be, the best performer I could be. And, um, and I'm fortunate I had great teachers along the way that were encouraging, um, that gave me the um, you know, it certainly gave me the skills to be able to do what I'm doing today. So yeah, I mean, for me, it's also being grateful for all of the things that have happened that have allowed me to get to that point, even, you know, to discover opera. You know, for me, opera was an unknown, well, you know, factor in my life. I, I had no idea what opera was. And to think that here I am making a living as an opera singer was, you know, years later, is just still kind of befuddling, you know, but uh, I'm just I'm so grateful. That's wonderful. And it sounds like you've had a lot of surprising mentors along the way. Yeah, I've had some wonderful mentors. Um, my first, my very first voice teacher, uh, bless her, Joanne Podorf, she, uh, she actually introduced herself to me uh, while we were waiting to audition for my very first musical, which was a community theater production of uh, The Sound of Music. And, uh, and she came up to me and introduced herself. And then after hearing my speaking voice, she immediately targeted in on <laughs> whether or not I had a teacher and if I was taking lessons. And, it, and then she graciously offered me free lessons. <laughs> wow. How could you possibly pass that up? You know, I had never taken a voice lesson before until I met her. So she was able to just tell by my, the resonance of my voice that there might be something there. And she started to teach me Italian art songs and arias, and it just started from there. She introduced me to Sam Raimi, the wonderful bass, operatic bass. What? Through recordings. Oh. <laughs> His brand of, uh, and style of singing, and she said, you know, this is someone you can sort of model yourself after, you know, the bel canto bass sort of repertoire. And uh, it all started there. And had it not been for her and her uh, graciousness and love for, for opera and teaching voice, I definitely wouldn't be sitting here today talking about uh, being a singer or being at the Met. Thank goodness for her. Yeah, and, and I have to also mention one of my other uh, wonderful teachers uh, was Catherine Malfitano, uh, the soprano who for many years sang at the Met. She was a big um, factor in my development. She challenged me to really uh, dig deep with interpretation of the music I was singing and really to have a, a closeness and an understanding of how to express that. Um, that wasn't something that I was getting necessarily from other teachers, so it, it added another dimension uh, and gave me a more complete feel as a performer. She was really um, very, and is still very a passionate woman, and uh, her passion for her own performance came through and in her teaching style, and it was, it was a real gift.
gift to be able to work with her at that time in my development. Nice. Yeah. You said full steam ahead. Do you have any other advice for our audience as they seek out their passions? One of the other factors I didn't mention that has been a driving force in my life and for um, taking, seizing the moment and taking advantage of every opportunity I have to move forward as a person, as a human being, as a performer, um, as a friend, as, as a husband, all of these things. Uh, one of the, the, the real driving factors is the fact that I lost my mother when I was 12 and she was only at the age of 32. Because of that, I think I've always looked at life as something that is quite fragile or could be and could end for any, any of us, of course, at any given moment. And so I was I'm very attuned to that from an early age. And as a result, I really wanted to um, not only make my mother proud, but also um, make my grandmother, uh, her mother, very proud, who I've become very close with over the years since my mother passed away. She's had a profound uh, impact on my life. So um, I, I know that um, my mother gave me sort of tools from which I've been able to s continue to use throughout my life to make um, positive decisions and ones that have helped propel me forward and given me uh, these great opportunities. And also I, I feel like there's also perhaps some divine intervention of some sort that's that has played a part in, in me getting these opportunities and presented the way they have, the synchronicity and the, the, the fact that, you know, all of this happened the way it did. I, I always have felt that there is a driving force behind that that is, maybe you could call fate or, you know, serendipity or however you want to coin it, at, but it's always, I've always felt like I've been blessed in ways that are hard to even make sense of on my own, but that I know are coming from outside of outside of my understanding. Is it possible that you're in tune with those forces and then jump when you see the opportunity? Perhaps. You know, that's a that's a really bring up an interesting point. Yeah, I mean it's it is one of those things that you can you can say, well, if you're not open enough to these experiences possibly happening, then maybe they wouldn't happen, and that's very possible. And I think going back to the fact that you know I, I tragically lost my mother at a young age um, might have given me maybe in a sense some some more compassion or um, or sixth sense or whatever you want to call it to to be open and aware of of um, things as they come at me and to take advantage. Well, you clearly have compassion and abundance. <laughs> Thank you. Brandon, I'm always so grateful to spend time with you. And today, for me, is just another example of your kind and generous spirit that you're willing to give up your time and your heart and your wisdom to us today. It really means a lot to me. So thank you. Thank you. And you're very welcome. I'm really amazed with um, your ability to sort of detect and bring out these elements through an interview and, uh, and to share that with other people. I think it's a real talent and I'm very appreciative of you taking the time to do this. Well, you make it easy. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And thank you so much for joining us today on The Piece of Persistence. 
Give us some love via your comments. Share us with your friends if you liked today's episode. If you want to hear more, there's an extended audio version of each of our episodes on our iTunes podcast. Thank you for tuning in, liking us on Facebook, and subscribing to find more ways to balance the happiness and success in your life. But if we forgot what really makes us sing and dance at night, it's the other people around and our dreams that lift us up from our